You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. On this episode, my guest, Aran Bibi, the founder of Cycle.io, walked me through their infrastructure as code monitoring product. I didn't know anything about it going in, but their early beta was quite intriguing. Not only does it compare your infrastructure code to reality and help detect drift, but it also generates configuration code to bring resources into your infrastructure configuration. That feature alone could be a big help to teams that already have existing cloud infrastructure that they want to get under control of infrastructure tooling like Terraform. We start off the show with the basics of infrastructure as code and what we mean by infrastructure drift, which if you haven't dealt with drift, it will be in your life soon because as soon as you create infrastructure in code like Terraform or Ansible or CloudFormation, as soon as you do that, you're eventually going to have drift not soon long after. Then we dive into Cycle's idea of how to detect and remediate that drift. We had great questions from the audience and dug into the tool and scenarios for how to use it. And overall, I had a fun time exploring the product and its potential. Here in January of 2022, they are still in an early preview release, but they are accepting signups on their website. I definitely think this tool is something worth checking out for anyone in a cloud management or DevOps role. So here is Iran Bibi of Cycle.io. Welcome to the show. We're going to talk about DevOps today. We have all the way from across the pond, Aran Bibi from Firefly. Thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Thank you for hosting me, Brett. How are you? Good. And you just let me know right before the show started that there are some connectivity issues from your part of the world to AWS. And so there might be some people right now that can't join the show because they're all trying to figure out how to get their stuff working. They can't join the show, but they can't work on their production infrastructure right now. So it's a typical weekend here in Israel. Let's hope. It will be passed very soon so everybody can just relax and enjoy the weekend. Right. Get back to life. We already work too much after hours and we don't need any more of that. Well, thanks for being here. And we've been chatting before the show about our similar backgrounds. Why don't you tell everybody where you came from, where you used to work, what your job and career has been about? So uh, I was starting my career as a system engineer and integration. So basically it was uh, mainly about uh, Linux, sysadmin and Red Hat and mm-hmm. all of the stuff, fun stuff of doing uh, operating uh, system uh, activities. And then when cloud became a thing, I think the, the natural uh, evolution was to become a cloud engineer. And then there was all the um, software lifecycle development kind of uh, solution of CICD and Jenkins. Then I was basically fell in love in those two concepts of doing pipelines and cloud. And I think DevOps become a real profession for me. And my first job as a DevOps engineer was 10 years ago. And I was doing a very nice career in that path, growing to uh, a team lead and then a group manager. And in my last uh, role, I was the head of DevOps in Aqua Security, leading the SRE team, the DevOps team, all the CICD and cloud engineering, Aqua Security, and it was very fun and educating journey. And now I'm the co-founder and chief product officer of Firefly. <laughs> You've already got a fan in chat there. <laughs> Someone's saying, saying you're Israel's DevOps kings. Yeah. Are, are you, the new word I'm learning this year from the kids is goat, uh, greatest of all time. So maybe you're in the rankings for that. <laughs> maybe I'm a goat. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. And you've got that long credentials of background. It sounds like we're very similar in that we were doing DevOps before it was called DevOps. And we were trying to automate things when they weren't easily automatable. And now we're far from finished, but everything is so much better and no one's happy. <laughs> so yeah, let's... there is a lot of challenges. Everybody yeah. that is uh, touching those areas of DevOps and cloud know it's something very exciting, but it's very complex. And I think challenging is the right term. 
Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we would all create a manual machine. We would even have a script. So we considered it not manual. We would consider it automated because we ran a <laughs> script, right? And we ran a command on our machine and stuff happened. And then that thing would never go away, right? It would just be there forever. There was no plan for when it would go away. Changing it meant touching it manually and going inside the machine or configuring it via other command lines that were not recorded or tracked. And someone at some point came up with this infrastructure as code, which doesn't necessarily mean you can't be doing manual things, but the idea that Git is our background engine for change management and that we're storing everything in configuration files, usually YAML, sometimes TOML and other languages people invented. But it wasn't that long ago. For me, it was less than a decade ago. So it is amazing how far we've come. But now we've created a new set of challenges. And that's what you're here to talk about. So can you give me some background on the problem you saw and why you wanted to create this startup? Yeah. So one of the stuff was how to properly manage infrastructure in the modern age. So we have those framework that you just mentioned, like infrastructure as code frameworks that become very popular. But some people embrace it, other people just trying to play around it and not sure, you know, whether they should have a full coverage of it. And Firefly basically trying to give uh, a solution for DevOps that will address some of the challenges in the journey of managing infrastructure. One of them is increasing infrastructure as code coverage. So this is something that we are aiming in our solution trying to provide those solutions for uh, DevOps engineers to make their life very easier with the journey of adopting those technologies, those emerging technologies. Because the landscape is very fragmented. There is, you know, a lot of cloud vendors. It's not just AWS, right? And there is a lot of tooling around Terraform. You might be familiar is one of the popular uh, frameworks for infrastructure as code, but there is some others like Pulumi and CloudFormation, if you are uh, sticking with AWS and CDK, now become a very good answer for uh, those guys that like to write codes, actual code for infrastructure. And Firefly just trying to do uh, some order in that messy world of a lot of tooling and a lot of technologies. Yeah, I think we've actually had Pulumi on the show. Sadly, I don't, I'm realizing that I, Terraform is so universal, I don't think about having them on the show, but we need to get someone from the Terraform project, especially now that they've uh, got a major new version uh, or a minor new version. It wasn't that long ago that they did 1.0, but we're getting to the point now where we have choices and we feel like we're sort of coalescing around some of these standards like Terraform. Now, back in the day, I was writing you know, CloudFormation, JSON, because mm -hmm. it was before it was supporting YAML, so it was JSON only, which meant no comments at the time, and these really long CloudFormation I, I, files. I, I can guess it was not fun for you. <laughs> yeah. It, it, was, it was better than the alternative, which was, you know, I got my teeth in IT back in the Windows days, and we were taking screenshots of and making Word documents of how to install something, right? <laughs> this is how you set up this server, read this document, and here's the screen, this is what it looks like, click this button, look at this screen, click this button. That was the original repeatable install documentation back in the day. It was Linux people never had that struggle. Everything's a command line. But Windows people, it's like we had this weird phase in the 90s and 2000s where there often wasn't a command line to, to do stuff and you had to click a button. And how do you document that? How do you repeat that? How do you, you know, it's a, a little bit better nowadays, but it you was need crazy. To right click, you need to right click on that icon and then scroll down like... <laughs> few times yeah. and then there is some checkbox and that's it this was the playbook for doing uh, infrastructure in the windows world yeah in fact if we've got any windows people hopefully you're not still doing that but every time i don't spend a ton of time on windows anymore but every time i go back i realize that my powershell skills are not what they once were <laughs> and that i no longer consider myself like an advanced engineer in windows i used to be all windows back you know 2005 or something but we're not really here to talk you, too much about Windows, but it is you, a problem. You evolved. I, I will say you, you keep the, the bad thing in your past, and now you are much better. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. The jury's out on that one. Okay, so you found this problem, and then you said, hey, I'm just going to find some friends, and we're going to make a startup together. This was a little over a year ago, it sounds like? 
Less than that, we actually founded the company last February, but we really start to build the product after we found, we had a found round in May. So I will say we are something like eight months into the journey. Nice. And it looks like on your website, you have an early access. Let's talk about Drift for a little bit, because I have a lot of students, like new students coming in every day to the courses, and they don't actually realize this problem will be a problem for them, right? Because it's one of those problems... It's a maintenance problem. And often so much of the blogosphere and all these courses, and we all talk about day one ops, which is the, how do I install something the first time? And we don't spend a ton of time on the day two ops, which that's the kind of the phrase everybody's using now, which is the maintenance, the upkeep and the drift, right? So can you kind of segment out what the difference is? Like what is drift? What is not drift? Talk about that for a minute. Of course. So first of all, you are totally right. Drift is a, uh, a day two kind of a challenge. And drift is, if I need to describe it very simply, is when the actual state of the configuration become different than the desired state. So you deploy something using infrastructure as code. In the first second, it's lined. But over time, due to several reasons, and I will elaborate on that later, the configuration become changed. And this is basically a drift. Right. And, and it's, I guess, one of the, is one of the requirements there that it's, well, we're going to talk about how to detect it, but we don't necessarily know that it's drifted. And it's amazing how many tools that don't either automatically or make it easy to detect that drift. So I, I think right now, if I'm looking in the past year, there is more awareness about Drift and you see a lot of tooling in place and open source tools and even DevOps putting it as a subject for discussion because people are, are really suffering it. And you mentioned it by yourself, you know, only after the fact that you have Drift. So most of the Drift is something that you need to address to address in the time that is not convenient for you. You are doing like Terraform apply to apply some change and then you get in some error message that the configuration is not aligned with the state file because you have some drift and now you basically need to address a totally different kind of issue uh, that you didn't plan before and in some of the cases it's very stressful. You need to investigate yeah. what it's happened because you are with the assumption that everything is going through your CI/CD pipeline and the infrastructure is code and all of the gates that you put there, but potentially you have some problem in your setup that is causing that drift. Yeah. I think the most popular example that I also experienced, I still experience, but I think my first experience with it was using early day, whether it was Puppet or Chef, or I think at the time it was Salt Stack a while, a long time ago. And we would all create that infrastructure with the infrastructure's code. And we thought that was good. We did that. And then at some point, this is AWS's story. If someone goes into the AWS a, uh, you know, web interface, some other person, you, maybe you are tempted to do it because there's a, a problem and you got to quickly go change it. You don't want to spend all day figuring out which Terraform or which back in the day, we didn't have all of the dials to dial that maybe the API or web interface of AWS did. So someone goes in there and clicks a button. And then what you're talking about, that fear, is that fear is when we go to apply something. And at least Terraform has that detection. Back in the day, I remember using SaltStack, and I would have to just reapply and just hope that I didn't wipe something out that someone had changed. And that indeed happened to me one year for a famous video company that has the word flicks in their name, where we... <laughs> I took down some of their infrastructure by applying automation, our IAC, to something that had drifted. And it caused a setting to change that someone else had implemented that was outside of the scope of the automation. And we took down a whole cluster and uh, servers. <laughs> and it just happened right. to be the day that they, I think it was on the Thanksgiving day in America. So it was a holiday. And it was their blog. Actually, it was Netflix's blog. Anyway, um, I'm confessing my sins here. It's always on a holiday or weekend, you know? Yeah, it's always on a holiday. <laughs> so that's one of my famous sins that I try to learn my lesson and tell everyone about because we, we all do it. It happens sometimes and no one knows it. And we're like, you know, we're lucky. And sometimes it happens huge and it, 
it's in production and you have to just be glad that you didn't get fired basically at that point. Right. I don't think it's in most of the cases you can say it's on the boundaries of a human error. So you can potentially fire someone for <laughs> creating a drift, but it's nobody's fault. It's really complex to you know, maintain that sync between the state and the actual cloud because Again, from what we are seeing in Firefly after investigating this area very deeply, drift happen when somebody wants to, to do the change very quickly in a, some emergency situation like a downtime or the SRE getting a call in a 2 a.m. And as you mentioned, don't want to search for that Terraform uh, pipeline to do the change. You just want the service back to online and is going to the console directly where it's easy and friendly and just trying to fix, I don't know, upscale something, change configuration for something. And it's creating a drift. And if you don't track those change in real time and you don't have that uh, log of manual change, it will, I will say, bite you in there. You know what? Eventually, yeah. but you cannot blame that SRE and that did that work to regain availability again in 2 a.m. So nobody to fire in this situation. You just need to put those safety guards. And by the way, one of the methods that is very uh, simple uh, to implement is running that Terraform client in a current job or in some scheduled job just to get uh, a notification when somebody doing a change after, you know, outside of the Terraform pipeline. So this is some of the suggested solution for engineer that managing infrastructure as code with Terraform, getting some automation around that notification of a drift. Right. Yeah. And that's often the case is, and I guess that's maybe we're going to probably get into a lot of this in a demo, but it's one thing for a tool to actually detect it. It's another that it's actually detecting it con on ongoing and consistently because a lot of us, we manage so much more infrastructure nowadays than we ever used to. In fact, I would say that Every, there's probably a math equation there where every three years, a DevOps engineer now manages twice as many resources as they did the three years prior, right? We get more and more tools, and then that just means we manage more and more stuff, which means there's more risk for drift, but also we're not constantly evaluating the potential for drift with our tools. Someone mentioned Argo CD, which, yes, absolutely fantastic. Argo will do that, but that's only for Kubernetes. And right. We've got so much more infrastructure than Kubernetes. Uh, I know Pulumi's doing some stuff there as well. But again, these are tool-specific implementations, and then each tool has their own way of doing it, whether you have to be manual or can you automate that, or do you have to pay for their SaaS in order to get that feature? There's all these things that it's just a tool-by-tool -tool evaluation, and that's really a lot of the struggle. We have some great comments in here. Argo CD, that's absolutely a great thing for Kubernetes. The question that may be a lead into a, a demo here in a few minutes, is there any way to tell Terraform to just change the state file to match the drifted actual config? Mm. It depends. If you would like to maintain the cloud as the source of truth, then yes, you will look about some way to align the state file, for example, the code with the actual state of cloud. But in most of the cases, you will be on a dilemma when there is a drift, whether you would like to update the code or you would like to revert back the cloud to the code state. So it really depends on the drift classification in that case. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that drift may have been something that you need and you maybe don't want to essentially undo or erase or delete whatever the ne necessary action is, that drift, because like you said, that drift may have fixed a problem. In fact, I just had a client this week they were in Kubernetes in the cloud and they have a load balancer in front of it and they enable the ALB functionality, the newer load balancer in AWS for HTTP proxying and it fails everything and everything goes down in one of their clusters. And it ended up being the lack of proper annotations, but what they knew how to go fix it, which was to go into the web interface and click a button to change the health check in the ALB. So they did that and it worked and we're like, okay, now that you've got this drift, Let's go and fix it in the code. And I could feel that natural resistance of the person saying, well, I have fixed it. It's fixed. Like, it works now. We're done. And I'm like, no, 
I'm thinking to myself in my head, no, we really haven't fixed it. We've worked around it, but now we've created a new problem and we need to go put that in the code. And so we spent another hour, actually, at least, trying to figure out the right way to put that in the code. The documentation was wrong. So we had to keep testing and testing and testing. And that's the struggle there is to make sure that if we ever have to have that drift, that we're somehow rectifying that in our code. Actually asking this question here, the solution is just don't automate your infrastructure as code, right? I mean, yeah, sure that you could not try to automate, but that's the goal of DevOps is we're always trying to further automate. So at some point we want that infrastructure as code automated. We want the drift detection automated. And, you know, like Aron's saying, maybe you can't always automate the drift fix because you have a decision to make. Yes. So Firefly, of course, trying to address drift and to become something that is really easy to handle eventually. This is one of the stuff that we are doing in Firefly. But I, I will say that the strategy of uh, handling drift supposed to be first detect them, making sure you have the right tooling, you know, whether Firefly or other tooling out there that can detect drift in real time. And then making sure how to create that decision, whether to align the cloud or align the code. We call it like classify the drift. For example, if you have a drift on a, a, a AWS tag, it's not something severe as a different kind of configuration. So you need to treat it uh, very differently. So it really depends on the drift. And then creating that mitigation of uh, reconciling the cloud with the infrastructure as code. Yeah, that's the reality. So then that's sometimes is the argument. Yeah, you just we just don't automate it. Going back just for one second, like the early days for me of infrastructure as code was really just day one infrastructure as code. We would set up things and then we would probably never run that code again. Right. If, If that was specific Terraform we created, we just created and we didn't necessarily edit. And very quickly, things would drift and we would be so scared to reapply that we would just never reapply. And I don't know how many times that happened in it. And I think it still happens for my students because I still see people who are learning a lot of these tools and then they implement it. And it's a new, it's a brain shift, right? They implement something with Terraform or Ansible. And then they have all these great instructions for how it's spun up, but then they've never tested making a change in it and reapplying it or what happens when they make a change on the infrastructure and then they reapply like they've never gone through that cycle over and over and so that that infrastructure's code basically gets old and stale i don't know if we have a word for that it's clearly drift but it's now stale if that's a thing and it's no longer used it's no longer even fixable so is that something that firefly can help with i'm leading into <laughs> yeah of course but you know as i um thinking exercise, I will say infrastructure as code is good for you when you are using it as a provisioning tool for your infrastructure and not as something as a one-time. If you would like to deploy something as a one-time and then continue the configuration directly in the cloud or through the CLI, then you are not using infrastructure as code properly. This is the deal. You need to totally embrace that practice of infrastructure as code and maintain it and do all the changes through it. I know it's difficult, it's challenging. There is much easier ways to change infrastructure rather than doing it through the pipeline, but you need to keep that alignment in order not to be in that situation that you just described. Right. I do have this fantasy dream of all the tools that are SaaS products, like we're talking about clouds today. So all these clouds know about your infrastructure as code repos. And when you change in the GUI, they update it for you. And what if the GUIs actually, imagine if you turned your AWS account and, and you're in it, you go in some admin setting and you say, this is now an IAC account and here's my repo or you know, maybe it's per VPC repo or something like that. And when you're changing a web interface, it doesn't actually change it directly in, a- in AWS's APIs. It goes and changes your IAC code, which then changes the a- actual infrastructure. That- this is Firefly, basically. <laughs> <laughs> a-, a dream come true. Yeah. And every once in a while, I get a new product company coming to me and saying, what do you think of our idea for this, this SaaS? And I always ask, great, okay, how do I automate that through Git? And 
not all of them have great responses because they're not really thinking that way yet, you know, and this gets into a little bit of the GitOps principles, but those of us that have adapted to it, that's the only way we want to change anything. And so now we have Firefly. So Firefly is a cloud asset management tool that is powered by infrastructure as code. And one of the stuff that we are doing very bravely, I will say, is showing you what is the infrastructure as code coverage that you currently have in the account or accounts that you integrated in the system. So we are building the product with a mindset of multi-cloud and multi-account kind of strategy. So there is uh, a bunch of AWS accounts integrated and also a few Kubernetes clusters. And this is basically the inventory of all of the assets that is uh, deployed. And we are categorizing them into a simple four categories. One, we just discussed all the stuff that is drifted. There become change between the desired state and the actual state. I will drill down in that into a minute. The unmanaged, meaning there doesn't have any infrastructure as code representation that was manually created through the console, CLI or other tooling, but they doesn't have infrastructure as code. And ghost, which is another type of drift, this is basically something that is declared in the state file, but it's missing from the cloud. For example, mm. you use Terraform. It, by the way, it's very common. I'm not sure if you will be surprised, but it's very common yeah. to see a ghost asset. You deploy it using Terraform, right? But somebody or among the way just deleted those resources from the cloud. Keeping your state file, think there is a process, but only when you are applying, it will create it again. But you need to know about it in real time. So this is. Uh, a type of drift that we call it internally in Firefly, a ghost asset, and of course, codified asset, which is very straightforward. The one that is aligned and in sync with your state in your code and basically doesn't have to do anything for them. And one of the stuff that we are doing in order to help you to increase that coverage is our modification capability. So I can click on one of the unmanaged assets and click codify. And Firefly will create automatically the Terraform configuration for you. And for the guy that's using Pulumi, we are also supporting uh, Pulumi in the type of languages that Pulumi supporting. So uh, it's really easy to increase the coverage when you have something that is generating the code for you. And this is what we try to do. So at first, you will get that visibility. What is your status? You can select only a specific account. For example, you would like to know what is the coverage only in the production account. And then you can just go and click on those assets and codify them. And then as you wish, just two minutes before you can create a pull request and create a source code kind of uh, a repository for those templates for you. So we try and just to make the life of the DevOps engineer much easier in that specific case of describing new infrastructure as a code. So the cycle will be detecting the unmanaged, codify them, and then applying them and create them a codified asset. And for the drift part, I'm just giving you example because we discussed a lot of drift. So. This is one of the common drifts. You have an EKS cluster, desired size was configured as one, but somebody upscale it to two and basically create a drift. In most of the cases, if we are taking this example of drift, you can declare that you would like to exclude it because it's okay to upscale and downscale cluster. You don't want to be notified them, but I can give you another example. For example, this DB Insight, the allocated storage was started as 10 gigabit, but some changed the configuration to 100. And this is a drift that I personally, uh, as an SRE, for example, we would like to know because I will expect that this change of the allocated storage will be through the pipeline and not directly from the cloud. So. Firefly, one of the capability is basically sending you a Slack notification when there is an event of unmanaged resource or a drift or a ghost happening. So you are just taking it into the Slack. Slack, for example, I, I give you the example of that SRE and 2 a.m. getting a call. It's okay to do a manual change, 
but he got that safety guard from Firefly that he have that ticket in his plaque or even with the Jira integration waiting for him to complete that cycle and close the drift and align the infrastructure as code. Very nice. I love that you're doing full circle pull request scenarios. So that kind of answers your question. If the tools don't have it built in, which I don't actually know that any of the tools do have this drift, we're going to call that drift reconciliation, where it will essentially generate Terraform or code for you. I think in general, you can get those safety guards of drift detection if you will invest time on implement different kind of tooling for different kind of technology stack. But one of the stuff that we try uh, to do in Firefly is to create that unified experience. So the infrastructure is called, by the way, in Israel, we are pronouncing it as yak, like the animal yak. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So we, yes. So we try to build that icon and to be like a thought leader in that space of having an, a proper <laughs> icon for infrastructure is called, this is the yak of Firefly. All right. And there is Helm, Terraform, CloudFormation, totally different kind of tooling, different technologies. Helm is a package manager for Kubernetes. Terraform is a multi-cloud framework. CloudFormation is a specific for AWS. And we just try to give you that combined view of everything in one place and drift whatever it something that is changed from the Helm or changed from the stuff that you deploy with CloudFormation. Firefly, I don't care. You just get a notification about the drift and you don't need to get that time of implementing the right tooling or Helm and make the life of the DevOps a bit easier. Yeah. What other Yak types do you support? Does, is Ansible supported? No. So right now we are focusing on the major uh, infrastructure as code types like Terraform, Pulumi, CloudFormation and Helm and customize for Kubernetes. Oh, okay. But later on, we might do Ansible as well. We are still considered because think about it, to be like a multi-cloud platform, there is a lot of investment of understanding AWS and GCP and Azure. And again, as I mentioned, we are eight months into the journey. We have tons of uh, stuff, you know. Feature requests. Feature requests and backlog (laughs) I can show you. We even put all of the stuff that we are about to do here is a coming soon. So we are also trying to have those drift detection and codification for a non-cloud provider softwares. For example, if you are managing your GitHub as a code and some people doing it because there is a Terraform provider for that and also for Datadog and Cloudflare and Okta, you will able to get those assets in Firefly inventory and see the coverage. And also you will get the codification and drift detection. So this is something that we are working on. So you will have those major cloud providers and also some of the, I would say most common SaaS tooling that have codification capability in one place. And again, with the idea of Firefly helping you to increase that infrastructure as code coverage and keep you aligned between the actual state and the desired state. Yeah. And that's great too on the GitHub because not maybe everyone who's listening would realize that this is an issue, but as your teams get really big and you end up with potentially hundreds of repos trying to manage and enforce owner's files, maintainer files, repo settings, yeah, the secrets, GitHub runners now, there's all these things. Yeah, it's, it's a ton. I will say it's almost impossible to do it manually through the GitHub UI. Again, the GitHub UI is amazing. It's very intuitive. It's very easy to find the settings. But when you are working in scale, you will be surprised about the amount of customers that we have that asking for that Datadog inventory capability because people are now managing Datadog as a code with Terraform. It's very popular because you have tons of dashboard. You want to able to deploy them easily. You want to track the changes of Datadog. So they want Firefly to have Datadog with the drift detection and the codification and the visibility and everything. And when we started Firefly, we thought, okay, there is a huge business on those cloud providers and Kubernetes. But then we realized those SaaS tooling also is going to be a a very huge in terms of demand from our customer base. And it makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're getting some chat too asking, should you plan or apply your whole environment every time you change or add anything to your infrastructure as code? We do it and it takes some time, but our environment will always match our code. I feel like that's the most advanced level. If there's levels of DevOpsness and automation, that's where you're like right now at the leading edge where you're enforcing it and applying it all the time. I second that exactly. We are being a sponsor in uh, the last and I was finding myself talking with hundreds of DevOps and some of them, the really few DevOps told me Firefly is great, but I'm managing everything is aligned with the code. Everything is go through Terraform and there is no chance that somebody will do a manual change. And it's a legit answer, but this is exactly those the bleeding edge kind of people that have that privilege to work like a, we call it like a pharmacy. But, you know, when your company become big and the DevOps team become larger and you have a multiple product and, and there is isolation between those teams, sometimes you will have that, even you think you are straight, drift will happen. Uh, we saw mm. drift happen by other softwares. For example, you have a CSPM kind of software that the CISO implement on your cloud. CSPM, like a, a, a security kind of software, can create drift. It's happened. We saw that. Because that, that CSPM is changing the security group or changing the bucket policy, but it's not going through the infrastructure as code, right? So that DevOps person applying the code and see that somebody else created yeah. drift, but it was not a human. It was a third-party software that is managing by totally different departments. Yeah. yeah, different state files too, yeah. Yeah, wow, because I, I, I have not seen that, but I could totally see how that happens. And it's one of those things where once security has implemented a security tool like that, you're not going to win a battle of saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to go write some Terraform in order to change that after your security tool detects it. It's the scary uh, tactic. You need that tool in place. You have your own agenda. We found that friction between the ops team and the security team, something that is very common in organization. And you would like everything to go through Terraform, but somebody else is altering the cloud and you don't have any control about it. So at least be aware when it's happening. Right. And as far as I know, Terraform still today doesn't I'm trying to think, it's not technically a ghost. Terraform doesn't detect things that's not under its management, right? So if someone goes and creates a new security group, it's not going to complain that there's a group that's not managed. Right. It, it depends. They have some capability to track changes outside the configuration, but it really depends on the relationship between the assets. But of right. course, if you will deploy something in a totally different kind of scope, like a different, I don't know, BC, a different region, Terraform doesn't know about it. Terraform know only about the context that Terraform is managing. And one of our uh, main capability is that unmanaged resource detection. You yeah. can detect anything that is not going through your infrastructure as code. Yeah. Is it doing that per account? So like you add an AWS account, for example, and is there an option for saying, or does, it, does Firefly just default to detecting everything under an account? It's detecting everything that's under the account, but in terms of uh, notification, you are declaring the scope. So you can say only on a specific region or only on a specific account or even at types, you would like to get notification, whether it's drift, unmanaged or cause. So we try to give you all of the um, options to get not notified only about the stuff that is really matter and not right. stuff. If you have a playground account, have every developer creating stuff manually, you don't want to get a Slack notification for that. So Firefly is built for understanding the scoping mechanism. I just had a thought. Let me ask you this question. If I'm someone who's new to infrastructure as code, right? Well, maybe I'm learning the tools, but I haven't implemented it in my business accounts. So essentially, I have zero IAC coverage or YAC coverage. Would you recommend a scenario where you implement Firefly and then you do one giant pull request, which is everything that currently exists? And that's how I initialize essentially my YAC accounts of my Git repos? Is that something that you'd recommend? Or have you seen that done? It's a very good question. And I will tell you like that. So in order to build something that is aligned with the best practice of infrastructure as code, 
you need to build that with models, right? And break all the variable into uh, a, a different kind of section in Terraform. So basically creating that immutable infrastructure. So right now we are providing you an infrastructure as code that is very specific to the stuff that you built. And you might need to do some modification in your IDE or in your GitHub in order to make it properly modulized. So Firefly at this stage will save you a lot of time, right? But it will not be like a 100% match exactly how I will imagine and that infrastructure as code will be uh, on your uh, GitHub. But I can tell you that one of the practices that we are maintaining internally in Firefly, because we are hosting also infrastructure uh, in AWS, is we are always creating tasks manually in the cloud and then using Firefly to codify them. And then we see them. We don't need the customer validation. We see the value us as a DevOps inside uh, Firefly, how easy it is to create a proper infrastructure code using a tool that giving you those automatically. And there is a, a very uh, nice example for, so EC2 is something that is relatively easy to create code for it, right? There is a Terraform registry and a lot of example online. But if you will go to something like um, CloudFront, CloudFront distribution, there is a lot of properties and sub-properties. So it's very easy and intuitive to create those directly in the cloud from the wizard of uh, AWS, create all of the stuff, see that it's working perfectly and then reverse it into a code using Firefly. So this is a very good example of how Firefly can really help you. As you were answering my, uh, my question earlier, I was just realizing it's probably not going to create descriptions of why those resources exist. And I'm someone who, so on this show, I have been a huge fan of the GitHub uh, project Superlinter, which takes all of these linters. Most people think of linting for code, but there's now all sorts of infrastructure as code linters. And they're not always built into the tool we're using. And it's now a thing that I have examples for in my GitHub, in case those of you who look and want to check it out. But there's uh, examples there that I put it in every repo now, because if I add a, a Terraform file or a, even just any Kubernetes YAML, a Docker file, you name it, Docker Compose file, those are all in there as linters. And a lot of those linters will add, they'll do things like tell you about best practice. I think I remember the Terraform one, I think it's called TerraScan or something. I was implementing some a AWS code in it or in Terraform and it was explained to me that basically, uh, I think it was cloud init or one of the things I was doing, oh, it was the, the metadata endpoint. I was implementing it insecurely in Terraform and Terraform wasn't telling me that. Like it wasn't telling me, hey, you kind of did this in an insecure way and you're not using certificates to you know encrypt and all that. And uh, the Terrascan linter essentially warned me before, because I, I did everything th through pull requests and the pull requests automatically scan. And we need so much more of that in the industry. And I'm going to, keep going here and saying that we're having a great discussion in chat. And one of the things that was pointed out was one of the questions, Firefly monitors for drift. Does it also allow for applying fitness functions to check for the use of best practices when deploying new code or obvious code smells? And I'm going to talk about that for a second. Of course. So just to be, so I will be aligned. What is fitness functions? Oh, just these linters, uh, basically looking for best oh, practices okay. in your IAC. Of course. So this is one of the advantages because we are generating the code. We can also highlight you with, there is amazing open source tooling like TFLint, TerraCost, TerraScan, Chekhov. There is tons of stuff out there that we can use internally to give you not just the code that is matching the setting that you, you have right now in your cloud, but how to make your code much better. So this is something that we are. Uh, doing as well. Yeah, because it's not necessarily directly related to the the sort of the mission of Drift is to detect that and then fix it. But at the same time, there's this other sneaky problem where we've done things wrong. It works, it functions, but there, it's often for me, it's often about security where I did something correctly and it works, but there's a risk. And that's a well-known risk of the way I design my infrastructure as code. And sometimes if you go through the web GUIs of these things, 
it's obvious what things you should be doing because their interface is guiding you through the decision tree. But in infrastructure as code, it's it's sort of unopinionated, right? There's all these settings. They, there's a ton of them that we don't set. So the defaults are set and the defaults aren't always the best. Right. So, and we call them insights. So in Firefly, insight is basically uh, leveraging the policy engine that we implement. And this is exactly when uh, Firefly trying to make your stuff align with best practice. So we have three categories, SRE, FinOps, and StackOps. And for example, the stuff that related to security, you can see all of the stuff that is matching to a certain classification. For example, you can see all the DB instance with public access. And it's very easy to see when you have a multiple account and multiple region and uh, a very complex kind of infrastructure seen in one place, all of the assets that is match a certain classification. But here we also using uh, a, a policy as code, we're using uh, OPA. So it's very easy to create a custom kind of uh, policy to get best, better insights. And security is very easy to explain, like all the IAM user without MFA, it's very easy to get the list. And even for, I, I call it cloud clutter and uh, unattached <laughs> EBS volumes, right? Those are basically wasting money. You don't need to use them. They're not attaching to any EC2 instance and uh, basically by the way, we see a lot of those happening when you have some Kubernetes cluster creating volumes and then you delete the cluster and for some reason the Kubernetes API failed to delete the volume and you just have that unattached orphan EBS volume that cost money but nobody using it. So Firefly detect that and also give you a very easy way to remove them from your cloud using the, the AWS CLI in this case. And so it's very easy just to get those built-in insight and create uh, a new classification that is more specific for the use case that you try to maintain. For example, seeing instances without proper tagging, this is something that a lot of DevOps teams try to have in those policy of proper tagging, whether it's a name tag or the owner tag of all of the assets so far, like always uh, scan for changes between the policy and the actual state. And of course, you can get a notification about that as well. Yeah. And in fact, I'm going to ask a very specific question here because I was actually very curious. It, it presented to you a bunch of AWS commands for deleting those non-attached volumes. Is that because it's also not stuff that's in your infrastructure as code? Like it's also missing? It, it's a great question. So of course, we are not trying to create drift by ourselves. But right. in this case, uh, in this uh, specific case, it's something that you need to delete that outside of the Terraform kind of right. flow because there are or orphan resources. So when we thought about what will be the easiest way to help the customer to mitigate those that specific insight, we understand that providing an AWS command that you just can you know copy paste and it will not create a drip because this is not something that is declared on your in, state okay. file or so it's a great question but we are not trying to create drift in any <laughs> case you're right like almost always the unmounted the volumes like that that are not mounted are almost always because someone just didn't know it was supposed to be deleted but every once in a while there's that sacred volume that's like essentially a backup or it's unique and we're just keeping it just in case so if it was defined in iac then I guess ideally your alerts wouldn't go off and you would know about it. It would be documented, but it, it's just still unmounted. That's really slick because there's actually, I know of other software as a service tools that are really just about the cost management, but that's all they do, right? They're not really a DevOps tool plus this. So it's great that you're trying to implement those kind of things in the same interface because there are two sides of the same coin. So basically is an example of the capability that you can do in Firefly using policy as code, right? So we are not trying to be a FinOps company or a security company with right. those example of SecOps, but we're trying to create that unified experience, right? As I mentioned before, unified experience for DevOps to have in one place the right tool to manage the cloud with addressing all of the challenges that we as a cloud engineer faced with codification, drift, and of course, policy is good. Yeah. And I can see how as someone who's 
helping people manage their infrastructure all day long, it's like the right tool for the right team, right? And a lot of times, a, a billing tool isn't necessarily something that a DevOps person sits there and stares at or cares about, although we will be getting in trouble when we spend a bunch of money because we need a new infrastructure and we put it in uh, IAC, mm-hmm. we're the ones that get in trouble, but we're not always caring about staring at that tool. Same with security. If it's not our mandate to sit there and implement ideas around security policies, we're, we're not going to want to look at that tool. We're going to want to look at the tools that we use day in and day out. And I often see with a lot of these tools where a company will implement some sort of billing or security or some other tool, but the DevOps team isn't in charge of running it because that's not their mandate. And so that tool then is unused or not benefiting the organization. So it's pretty nice that, that there's some of that stuff in there. Knowing that you're early access, are you expecting, are there other things yet that you're waiting to implement that we haven't seen yet? Is there some stuff in coming soon that you're going to need to do before you make sort of a official coming out of early access and going GA? Exactly. So we are building that GA announcement that will come very soon. We are feeling very comfortable with all the stuff that related to be a GA in the right staffing in place and the maturity of the product. So I don't want to spoil, but there is a lot of stuff that we planned in the backlog and we are trying to build something very huge. I'm pretty sure we are in the right direction. So I will say the GA is around the corner and eventually everybody that would like to participate in that closed uh, uh, beta program can reach out through the website of Firefly, which is gofirefly.io and we'll be happy uh, to have you on board. Nice. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've got, like you said, a ton of a backlog next year, something like that. When you got, when you're <laughs> on version two, not that there are versions necessarily of SASs, but it'd be interesting to see all of the new functionality and things you've added there. But I'm liking it already. And as someone who's a potential user of this, it's always nice when I have someone coming on the show to show me something that I might use. So I really appreciate <laughs> it. Is there anything else about the product that you wanted to share or are you good? No, I'm great. Okay. Thank you for having me in the show. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Congratulations, by the way, on getting funded and having a startup. I wish you all the success. And this is definitely a need where we we need more ideas and more minds trying to solve these problems because we're all creating infrastructure that is going to inherently have drift. And not all those tools, as we've been talking about, have it built in to to deal with the drift. So I appreciate it. And thanks to your team for answering all these great questions. By the way, everything was built by a bunch of amazing people and the Firefly employees that they are doing an amazing job building that stuff without, think about it, like eight months, work like crazy. And I'm very proud of the team that we built here. If it's already doing all that in an early access beta, that's way more than I would have had done in a preview. So that's fantastic. I think, yeah, again, I wish you all the good luck. So thanks so much for being on the show. Iran is on Twitter and you can check out gofirefly.io to get into the early access beta and hopefully they'll let you in. I have no special ability to get you in. (laughs) But if there's a comment box and you say, I saw my Brett show, then maybe they'll let you in faster. All right. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next week. See you, Ron. Bye. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.